IKEA always asks, what makes a house a home? Comfort? Making your place your own? Mm. Affordable solutions created with the planet in mind? With IKEA, it's all of the above. And now you can afford even more with new benefits for IKEA family members, including 5% off on all eligible purchases in-store. Every visit, every day. Visit ikea-usa.com family to learn more and join. Offer valid starting 9-1-2022. Limited to qualifying purchases. Exclusions apply. Not valid on services. Discount applied in-store only before tax, shipping, and handling. Cannot be combined with coupons. Visit ikea-usa.com family for more details. From the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is the Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, January 3rd. 2020, and you are listening to The Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Huckabee, coming at you today from London, England, actually. I'll explain more. I'm in London right now. We don't need to get into it too much. Let's worry about what's happening back stateside uh, down there in Orlando, Florida. we keeping us on the rails in 2020. Going to be our, our, the, our, for our maiden voyage here in this new year. We decided to give Chandler a break because we needed an expert hand to make sure this podcast <laughs> frankly, doesn't go too far. No one has seen Chandler since New Year's <laughs> Eve. He was That's true. He was DJing until we looked over at the booth at the strike of midnight and he's vanished and no one has seen him since it's very (laughs) he turned into a deer and left we knew this was going to happen the prophecy was finally fulfilled we do not know when or if he'll be back so in his stead we've got our friend clark flippo down there hey clark hey guys and out there in loveland virginia also helping us ring in the new year in style it's jesse carey hello hello yeah happy happy 2020 everyone it's a new decade. I think it's a new decade. Tyler, I wrote about this on the site last uh, week while you were, you know, traveling. Is the yeah. decade, are, are we starting like a new decade now or is that next uh, year? Because there's no yeah, year zero. There's no year zero. Yeah. You know, so it, it's a I real question. I, you know, I don't have a dog in this race, but people seem very passionate about this issue. Because it made me, I wondered about that too, because when we started thinking about our, our best albums and movies of the decade, I thought, well, what do we include? Do we include things from 2000? Like, how far do you yeah. do you go back? Because really, all we included then were, was nine years worth of potential movies, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole confusing thing. And, uh, you know, once we figure it out, hopefully Janner will rematerialize back into himself. And I think He's that's the problem. He's, no one's quite sure when the curse lifts because no one's sure about this decade debacle. But despite Chandler not being here, Tyler, we got a pretty a pretty serious show today. Pretty big uh, one. Oh yeah, we, we have a we have a big show today. Oh, this is gonna be a lot of fun. We've we've been working on this for a long time and it finally happened. We were very pleased and excited to be able to welcome Brian Stevenson to the show later. Brian Steven is of course course the subject of the new movie just mercy which is based on the book that he wrote about his own experiences uh, and his and his uh, justice in his justice system reform work we talked to him a little bit about that whole experience of writing the book and then seeing it turned into this new movie that stars michael b jordan brie larson Jamie Foxx. Yeah, and Tyler, I don't want to give too much away, too, but we may or may not be soon featuring another interview uh, on the website with uh, someone people may have heard of. 
Uh, his name's Michael B. Jordan, hey. and he plays Brian Stevenson. Hey. Hey. So we got Brian Stevenson. Not to be pod. confused with the legendary NBA actor. We did, we did not get the Michael the long. Not that we would be opposed, Mr. Jordan, if you'd care to join us on the Roland <laughs> podcast. Of course, the door is always open for your yes. tall head. But this time we got Michael. But Michael B. Uh, we did have a conversation with him that is going to be featured on the website. And today on the pod we got Brian Stevenson. So they they yeah, yeah Michael B. plays and I I even asked. I don't think this made it into our conversation that we that we put. Uh, to, that you'll be hearing today later on. But I asked Brian Stevenson what he would have told himself if he'd known that in about 20, <laughs> 20 years ago, so I said, Michael B. Jordan's going to be playing you. And he said, I just would have started working out more, which I think is a good, you always want to be, that's one reason if you need a little extra motivation to yeah. get into the gym, if that was part of your, part of your news resolution, you never know when someone's going to decide to make a movie about your life and you don't want people to That's be like, right. oh, I don't see that at all. You yeah. don't want, you don't want to, you know, I, you, Jesse, you don't want someone to cast say uh, a, a Tom Cruise, a Brad Pitt or something and have everybody look at them. Like, oh, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, honestly, I, even though both of those gentlemen and Ryan Gosling, I mean, we can name a few, uh, <laughs> I, you know, are nearly guys. identical to me in many photos. Uh, I see the conundrum. <laughs> that the real life Brian Stevenson was in. I mean, you know, I think I have more of a Eric Killmonger, uh, uh, you know, boxer physique. Um, then, yeah. then maybe a lot of people. So I could see, I could see someone in that shape playing me, but I, you know, I empathize for Brian Stevenson. So you, so you think that somebody to play you would have to go into like the, the Kumail Nanjian, the Marvel movie machine, obviously and get just jack to just in to, to just barely superhuman, just barely superhuman levels exactly. of physical I mean, fitness. I, I want to preserve the accuracy of my life. I mean, there's no <laughs> point if someone's watching a movie about me, it might as well be as accurate as possible. And, you know, it's that's life and art, you know? So I, I obviously, me, you know, I think for me, it'd be, you get one of those actors where everybody talks about how brave their performance was like, mm-hmm. Oh man, they, they, a bodily transformation. They drank milkshakes for, <laughs> for six months and only milkshakes to prepare for this role, a, a, a mesmerizing performance. And then people worry about their health. Like, man, I hope they bounce back. Yeah. I don't know how you do something like that. That's what I want to, I, I hope that's inspiring. And I yeah. hope whoever does play me enjoys that time and is able to get back on the road to recovery soon after shooting reps. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, let's say it's like a Chris Evans for me. My one advice sure. to him, cause I'm sure uh-huh. he's listening and he's, he's been, you know, thumbing Mr. through Evans. the script of my biopic, which I wrote myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly a monologue. It's very, it's, uh, very unconventional. It's, it's about box episodes. It's about four. It's about four and a half hours. Uh, I'm shopping <laughs> it to Netflix right now. And I told Chris Evans uh, in the script, uh, don't hide behind a sweater, my friend. Don't go, don't go big, you know, woolly sweater on this one. If you just own the, own the role here, you know, full, <laughs> full tank top, every scene. Oh, so, just, a, just a skin tight, just two sizes, too small. <laughs> like a like theater from old Navy situation that you repeatedly like bust out when you get angry or like, that's right. You that's, that's and it, like, rips at the scenes. It's essential to the, the pot will not make sense unless it's Chris Evans in a tank top portrayed. <laughs> so anyway, but Hey Tyler also coming up. It's not just Brian. Yeah. It's not just Brian Stevenson. Yeah. We have a, yeah. a new music spotlight. 
Yeah, like so we we love when Brian and Katie Torwalt join us to talk about some of their stuff. They're some of our they're one of our favorite couples uh, working in the music industry right now. They have an EP called Anticipation. They were kind enough to join us to talk about. You'll be hearing a little bit from them as well coming up later in the podcast. We'll have some music from that EP. I also want to mention really briefly. We got a lot to get to. Obviously, I don't want to take too much time away from that. People want to hear what Brian has to say. They want to hear what the Torwalts have to say. I mentioned that I was in London. I'm yes. not here for very long this time. This is a brief. This is a brief stop over. My wife is working on her her master's degree. She's heading to Paris. We had a few days decided to take before she she went back to Paris to continue on her, working on her master's to bring in the new year in London, which we did. It was very nice. We're staying in just here through for a couple more days here on New Year's Day, which was yesterday. We, uh, we woke up, we were a little jet lagged, woke up late, decided we were going to go down to the Tate Art Gallery. Because my wife and I are, we, we are lovers of the art scene. We, we have, we are people of refined tastes. Obviously. People of class. Yeah. Wanted to go to the Tate Modern Art Museum, which is, which was free. I had a great time. Uh, people who live here in London and have that uh, right at their doorstep are, are very, very fortunate. If people come to London, they should go to see the Tate. As we were walking there, we were about a half a block away from the Tate. It was very quiet. It was about noon, but it was very close to New Year's Day. There's not a lot of people out. There was maybe five or six other people walking around us. And this is what happened, Jesse. I okay. looked up. I, I saw something falling from the sky. I couldn't tell what it was. It landed about five feet in front of us. It, it fell with enough force that it was clear it had come from like a from very very high up okay uh because it, it was it was very heavy it was a loud thump i walked up closer it was a fox an animal of an animal that had fell and i don't it was dead obviously when it lay i don't know if it had been dead before it dropped or not but the people who are out were very i don't think this just happens in london people <laughs> expressed a lot of surprise so i don't think this is the customary london new year fox drop so you're walking and and you're not in a wooded area you're in an urban area this is we are we are downtown london and you're downtown london it's not like there's like a canopy of trees or something above there's you there's no tree any there's there's only buildings i have to think it came out of a out of one of the i don't know if somebody threw a fox from their window? Is that something people do? Throw foxes? That doesn't maybe seem... In, maybe in England. That seems very... Un, it was really unsafe because it could have landed on somebody and I think it would have hurt if it had landed on... I was close to landing on me and Liz when well, we walked by. Imagine going to the hospital and being like, well, what happened? <laughs> you, you come in with like a broken nose and you're like... Well, you're not going to believe it. A fox fell on my face. Yeah, it's, I mean, okay. Were there buildings around that it could have like... There were, buildings around, there were buildings around that it could have been like, I guess, on top of a building. I don't know if... In the U.S., foxes aren't urban animals. You don't see no. foxes in downtown <laughs> anywhere. You, you rarely see foxes at all. Yeah, exactly. For my knowledge of foxes, which mainly derives from a show I watched a kid. Uh, you know, the, the fox was Swift, David the Gnome. I don't know if you guys watched oh, David yeah, sure. the Gnome. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, Swift was fast and he would let gnomes ride him, but he was also very elusive. You know, foxes are kind of shifty animals. I mean, maybe the fox was attempting some sort of like parkour, <laughs> like on the rooftops from of, one building to another. And didn't make was he it wearing, all the way. Was he wearing like a GoPro, like <laughs> making one of those YouTube videos? Did, OK, so after the fox drops and there is now a dead fox directly in front of you. 
Yeah. I mean, what do you proceed from there? I kind of feel there's like the day. Lot, there's not a lot to do. You you kind of it feels because it feels like this beginning of like an A24 horror movie, <laughs> like a high concept, like very <laughs> ominous, weird. Uh, oh, like, it just kind of sets the whole tone. Like everything's fine at first, but now there's like an ominous tone, which there was for sure. But it's yeah. not like I'm not going to go pick up the fox. I'm not going to bury the fox. Yeah. Uh, and for all I know, this is an English. Th- I don't want to get involved. There's a, there's enough tension between our two nations as it is yeah. right. Exactly. I don't want to make an international incident out of this Brexit. Is this a Brexit thing? I I barely know what Brexit is. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot about this breakfast. They're saying breakfast, right? Tyler? Breakfast. Yeah. Having a big debate about breakfast. Uh, uh For some reason, now foxes have gotten involved. (laughs) Can I make one other suggestion? What it could have been? One of those giant furry hats that the Queens, you know. Oh, that's uh, a good point. Maybe. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's been dead for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I know they do. I feel like fox hunting is probably still a pretty big activity. Like it's probably like the number two sport sure. in the UK. Uh, you know, yeah. where where uh, people saddle up horses and go after after a game of footy. Yeah, you have uh, they go for old fashioned fox hunt. The old New Year's Day fox hunt with <laughs> Boris Johnson, and the Queen, and and Harry Styles. They got to eat something for Daniel breakfast. Radcliffe. All get together and they and they have a big fox hunt. Yeah, hey, but I'm saying, what about maybe it's one of those big furry hats that those. Uh, uh, you know, guard yeah. square. You know, maybe uh-huh. he was drying it up up on like a high clothesline, and it just looked like a fox when it hit the. I don't know. I don't know. This is a baffling situation. I feel like the UK. It wouldn't shock me though if there was like just someone walking around like with those. You see them in like movies from like the forties, where the scarf is literally an entire dead just animal, head yeah. head and all. Yeah. Like if someone was just wearing a fox as a scarf, you know, and maybe the maybe maybe what you saw was just a very fancy scarf i don't know i do know <laughs> I did, in my mind the english wear entire animals as wear, pieces of clothing wear, yeah they don't they, they kill it and that's the extent of it no skinning <laughs> no there's no <laughs> other the, throw you, it you, around you, your neck that's yeah, fine you kill it Everything you've got fine. a scarf we did people work too hard on this in the u.s it's it's, it's ready to go Raw somebody fox. did mention that it could have been like a uh, like a bird of like a hawk could have tried to carry a fox away as part of the hunt <laughs> and it got too heavy and dropped it i guess that's possible i don't know how things work is, in england yeah do they have pterodactyls in england like i mean i don't know if that theory really holds like if i was if i was going to bet on like a fox hawk cage match i would go fox you know but i it's it's baffling did you look at any local news because i feel like this is a story i would see on like far or something I, I checked on twitter and i didn't see i checked like fox london uh short you know the the neighborhood that i'm in and i didn't see anything which again makes me wonder maybe this is just a thing maybe they just do this <laughs> the new year's fox drop it's very cool and very weird and very unsafe uh but traditions are traditions you know? yeah you can't you can't stop now just because the pc police Gotta are gonna get mad at you. You got. You, you what just, are we without our code? Yeah, exactly. You know, sorry, snowflakes. We're throwing foxes from the tops of buildings in heavily urban areas. <laughs> well, if any of our of our British listen, any if any of our expats British listeners have any ideas about what might have been going on, I would definitely entertain your suggestions. Although I kind of like the mystery, uh, but I, again, I do kind of feel like I'm in a high concept elevated horror movie. Yeah. Ever since, and I need to be paying attention to the signs here. Maybe yeah. that was a 
curse, seven years bad luck. I, I don't know. We do have a lot to get to today. I just had to get that story off my chest. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're doing the hot list. Listening to London Boy by Taylor Swift. Yeah, how appropriate. Apropos. Nothing about foxes in the song. Another point to add to the mystery. Yeah. Baffling. Pretty, Baffling. pretty thorough. How, pretty thorough about L- London Boy traits. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? But no foxes. Hmm. Hmm. Beginning the podcast, you heard Toyota Man by Neon Indian. Well, it's time for our weekly, our first weekly of this year. Look back at the five stories of the intersection of faith and culture that caught our attention this week. It's time for... Number five this week, Jordan wants to ban Netflix's Messiah a movie which was partially shot in the country. Okay, this is really interesting. Yeah, also, I do have to say, I do have to say, uh, Messiah getting the heavy marketing push here in London. Oh, Posters really? for it everywhere. Oh, yeah, up mm. everywhere you look on buses, on the, as you go down to the underground, uh, they're, they're they're all over the place. Wow. They, people really want the want people to watch that movie here, which is cool. It looks like a really interesting. It, flick. it does. It, it looks it. like a, a show that will have an appeal to an international audience. Like for geopolitics sure. seem to be a major theme of the show, which is. Why this story is particularly (laughs) interesting. interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this week, Netflix dropped its new series. It's called Messiah, which, as we've talked about before, follows a CIA officer who investigates a charismatic figure whose followers believe that he can perform miracles and looks at the question, is he a divine entity or a dangerous con artist? However, one place where Netflix subscribers may not be able to see the show is the nation of Jordan. This despite the fact that the show is partially shot in the kingdom with the support of the Royal Film Commission of Jordan. The RFC reportedly reviewed a synopsis of this series before approving the shoot and even granted filmmakers a tax break. The show is being produced by Hollywood power couple Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, who helped bring the hit series The Bible to cable. In a statement, officials in the country said, quote, the story is purely fictional, and so are the characters, yet the RFC deems the content of the series could be largely perceived or interpreted as infringing on the sanctity of religion, thus possibly contravening the laws in the country, while still standing firmly by its principles, notably the respect of creative freedom. The RFC, as a public and responsible institution, cannot condone or ignore messages that infringe on the kingdom's basic laws. In their own statement to Deadline, Netflix said, Messiah is a work of fiction. It is not based on any one character, figure, or religion. All Netflix shows feature ratings and information to help members make their own decisions about what's right for them and their families. Man, there's a lot to unpack in this one. I don't even know where to begin. It really there really is. I mean, it, it, well, first, it shows... And, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to conflate the I people of a country with the governing powers of a company of a country, particularly when those governing powers uh, are uh, authoritarian in nature, you know, but it does seem 
that there are some predominantly Muslim countries in the Middle East that enforce very strict laws on their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jordan, you know, we've seen similar things with Saudi Arabia that almost want to seem to have their cake and eat it, too, in that, you know, yeah. they, they want to court not just Western, but they want to record uh, a court kind of modern businesses and they want to uh, have, uh, you know, bring filmmakers in and, and, you know, it, in Saudi Arabia, you know, they had a big party where they flew a bunch of Instagram in influencers. Yeah. And yeah. That, yeah, that's that caused uh, some controversy because, you know, they wanted to kind of loosen up the image of the country yet. Saudi Arabia still canes people, you know, they, they still enforce mm-hmm. strict uh, uh, separation laws between uh, men and women, you know, Gender discrimination. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a massive problem over there. Uh, you, you know, you see in Jordan, what is essentially government mandated censorship because of religious sensitivity. So I think it's, it's certainly concerning and, and, and it's also odd because like you said, the film commission there reviewed the script or at least the synopsis before they allowed shooting, they essentially paid the filmmakers to come shoot there. And that now they're saying that the, the people of Jordan can't even see the show. I'm wondering what changed. Yeah, I'd like to know what changed between the concept and execution here, because something must have happened that was not. I don't see how you could be surprised. The the premise of the show is pretty straightforward. I'd be exactly really curious to see what and changed in their minds or or who got in whose ear about whether or not this show should be should be shown in Jordan. And it just shows some of the complications around the global community that yeah. technology is creating, but there's still some significant barriers to that in terms of just just cultural ethics and and kind of old standing mores yeah. that I I, I I've, I've, I have no idea whether or not this show would be offensive to anybody. We haven't seen this show yet. Yeah. Uh, we, we, but whether or not it's offensive, I, I don't think is really the, the question. The, the question is government censorship of, of stories and what can and should be allowed to be shown. And in this case, it's, it's just kind of disappointing that that's not something that we've gotten over yet. Well, and it's not just, you know, it's not just authoritarian Muslim regimes. I mean, it's authoritarian, no. it's authoritarianism in general. I mean, you mm-hmm. saw a different version of this played out in China a few months ago when, you know, China has been courting the NBA and the NBA has been trying to get a foothold in China for the, you know, mm-hmm. National mm-hmm. Basketball Association for a long time. They've so they're playing preseason games over there. Uh, you know the fan base uh, for the NBA is massive among the Chinese people. Yet the government shuts down the partnership with the NBA because a single you know front office executive, in this case Daryl Morey, the GM for the Houston Rockets, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know tweets his support for the uh, activists in Hong Kong. And because the NBA didn't come out strong enough against Daryl Morey, you know, there's reports that the Chinese government wanted Daryl Morey fired from the Rockets for expressing a a, a pretty, you know, benign political opinion on Twitter. And, you know, it's another case of, you know, these authoritarian governments wanting their cake and eat it, too. They want to court, you know, some of these Western institutions, but they don't want to bring in the values that come with those institutions, whether it's a sports league that, 
you know, prides itself on free expression. You know, that's one thing the mm-hmm. NBA has done really well that the NFL hasn't. They, they want athletes to be outspoken about social issues. You know, so China courts them, but then shuts down a basic value, which is free speech. You're seeing the same thing here happening in Jordan, except what makes this one more interesting. It's a show with heavy, uh, you know, religious implications. So, yeah, it's it's disappointing. But I, I still have seen the show. It dropped uh, just like two days ago. It dropped on, mm-hmm. on Jan 1. But I'm interested to kind of uh, uh, give it a shot. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to digging into that one. So, and then we'll see. And then maybe, who knows? Maybe if we watch it, we'll decide it should be banned in the U.S. too. I'll reserve <laughs> judgment. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Coming to number four this week. Oh, this is a fun one. Ryan Johnson confirmed that he is, in fact, a former youth group kid. This, this so is Ryan right John- up your alley, Tyler. This, this is, is right up my alley because Ryan Johnson is really one of my... Uh, he, he's become kind of kind of snuck up on me and I realized yeah. while I was looking over some of my favorite movies of the decade, I think Ryan Johnson's one of my favorite filmmakers. I, I just have been extremely on board everything this guy has ever done. Uh, well, it, I, had, I had some inclination that maybe he has some background in the church because... So did I. You, you wrote a, a very thoughtful, insightful review for his latest film knives out and you talked yeah. about some of the, like what are essentially christian values represented kind of in this uh, murder mystery plot and he liked your review like publicly you know he did yeah he did he did uh like the review and he's he's pretty uh, uh he's pretty willing to engage with people yeah. on social media it's not hard to get his attention and, yeah. and he's always come across as very thoughtful and and engaging and even to to criticism people who don't like what he does which yeah. there are some of so he's one of the most acclaimed directors in Hollywood right now behind the camera on films like Looper, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, like we said, Knives Out. He also directed, I think a lot of people don't know this, he's directed Ozymandias, some, the penultimate episode of Breaking Bad. Yeah. One of the, probably in the, what, half dozen best TV episodes of all time, yeah, if not, certainly. I think a lot of people would say number one. Yeah, certainly. Um, and now he's admitted that he was very much a youth group kid. He was asked by a Twitter follower about the song Righteous Rocker by Larry Norman and it, which was, which was portrayed and that which was featured in Knives Out. Uh, the Twitter user wanted to know how that got in there. Johnson said that he grew up on Christian rock, although he only recently discovered Norman's music. I believe he said he, uh, read a little bit about it in a a new biography that came out about Larry Norman's life. Uh, he's an, he said he's a fan. He opened up a little bit about music he grew up with. He tweeted, when I was a kid, it was stuff like Amy Grant, Mark W. Smith, but then as a teen local SoCal bands, like the Prayer Chain and Black and White World was very much a youth group kid. Like you said, once you once you hear this, a lot of things kind of click into place yeah, about yeah. Ryan Johnson's movies. I have no idea where he's at now. He didn't he didn't say that he continues to go to go to church or anything like that. I, I, to my knowledge, he hasn't spoken about that at all. But the background makes a lot of sense. I'm a little disappointed that like an MXPX song didn't end up in Ozymandias. <laughs> like as Walt is like showing up to the big. I, I'm not going to. I'm sure people have seen the finale of Breaking bad by now but my walk you know pulls up to the what ends up being the big shootout i think some under oath or something if he was really <laughs> if he was really a former youth group kid you know fire up some some tooth and nail to get us hyped for that scene so i look forward to more uh ccm in the in ryan johnson's movies. in future and future ryan johnson movies yeah. future uh and the knives out sequel knives in yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh number three this week here we go a new docuseries will look at the life of justin bieber 
Back in 2017, Justin Bieber abruptly canceled his tour and began opening up on social media about his own struggles with mental health. Since then, he's gotten married, helped lead worship, become more vocal about his faith. Now he's released a trailer for an upcoming docu-series that looks at the making of his first new album in four years through the lens of his closest confidants, friends, collaborators, and Bieber himself. The series is called Seasons, will debut on YouTube on January 27. As he explains in the teaser, as humans, we go through so many ups and downs, so many good seasons, bad seasons, sometimes we want to give up. CNN recently profiled the Hillsong New York Church pastor Carl Lentz. Lentz discusses his friendship and mentorship of Bieber, even saying that Bieber stayed at his house for a month with his family. Here's a clip of the teaser for season. Justin Bieber says he is canceling the rest of his world tour. As for why Justin canceled the tour, he spoke to maintaining a healthy mind, heart, and soul. Performing is the thing that he loves most in this world. For him to say that he didn't want to do it, I was concerned. There was a period where it was really tough for him. He was a shell of himself. As humans, we go through so many ups and downs, so many good seasons, bad seasons. Sometimes we want to give up. I, I I am interested in watching this show to see how transparent it, it really is. I, I, yeah, I am too. And I'm interested too, you know, as we're recording this, uh, we're recording this early Thursday, a little, a little peek behind the curtain, even though mm-hmm. most people are here on this Friday. So we haven't got a chance to hear the new single. It's called Yummy that yeah. I, I think is dropping later this afternoon. Um, but, so I'm also excited to hear new music because I think Purpose is an album that is aged really well, like for a pop album. Um, but I also think his his entire trajectory and, uh, you know, no, I, th- I feel like no matter what people think of his music or his personality, his story is pretty interesting. I mean, even, uh, you know, there was like a, I was reading a press release about this series, which I, I think was optioned by a lot of the big streaming providers. But they ended up going with YouTube because, you know, Justin Bieber is the first I mean, you could make the case the first megastar from the YouTube era. You know, he was discovered. That's probably true. He yeah. was discovered posting YouTube videos. And now, you know, and now so this docuseries is, um, uh, you know, going to be on YouTube. And I think that's an interesting part of the story because you have a celebrity who was basically created outside. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a, 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 a mouse mouseketeer like Justin Timberlake and, and Britney Spears. You know, they were he wasn't a Disney Channel, mm. you know. Uh, uh, which look, I'm not throwing shade at any of the Disney Channel pop stars, but you know he was sort. He, I know what you mean. Yeah. He's not a Jonas brother. You know what I mean? Like he came up sort of outside of the system, and you know has had uh, uh, you know some very public troubles, but he's also had an interesting embrace of of faith. And I think I'm not only looking forward to kind of hearing what what direction the new album goes, but I'm more I'm more interested in watching this docu series to see if it does kind of provide some more in, insights into a, a, a human who has an exceptionally interesting life, no matter what you think about his art. You know, he he's lived an unusual life and there was the brief, uh, I don't know how brief it was, but there was a period where he was seen as definitely like he was a troubled kid. And there was a lot yeah. of there's a lot of questions about whether or not he was going to make it, which isn't that unusual for child stars. These yeah. people come up and are obviously with, with the enormous amount of privilege provided to them. It'd be. It'd be stranger if they didn't make some mistakes. And and Justin Bieber, unfortunately, had the bad experience of making his mistakes on a global stage 
with uh with uh, uh and, and given the the money and power he had uh, he was able to, you're just able to make bigger mistakes yeah. than uh, people like us are when we were 15 or 16 most for the most part um so hearing him he has gone into that a little bit he's discussed that on instagram he's been pretty open about yeah. that whether or not this show will be i don't know but the potential for it to be sort of an illuminating look at the life of of not just Justin Bieber, but of, of what life as a young pop star in general is like would be really interesting and, yeah. and, and hope and even challenging maybe to society for how we treat these kids uh, and what we what we put them through, even accidentally. Well, for sure. The, and the other element, too, that I'm interested to see the degree to which it's kind of unpacked is. You know, it's not uncommon now, you know, in this kind of uh, uh, post, uh, you know, uh, Kanye conversion era to have celebrities on, you know, be pretty outspoken about their faith and, and engaging with pastors very publicly. But, you know, Bieber really kind of was on the even on the forefront of that kind of interesting social trend that has led to yeah, a yeah, lot of the, the, the discussions. You know, I mean, now it's not uncommon to see, you know, Chris Pratt or, uh, you know, Kanye or Selena Gomez or whoever talk about the faith. But it was really I mean, when Bieber was doing that initially, it was a major story. It, it, it really kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uh, brought a couple of interesting worlds together. Anyway, that I, I think the, the it's another one like Messiah. I'm going to give it an episode or two uh, just just out of curiosity to kind of see what direction yeah. it goes. You know? Yeah, yeah. Same here. Uh, OK, number two this week, we got our first look at Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain as Jim and uh, Andy I love Faye this Baker. Oh, I'm excited about this one. The actors portray the famed televangelists in an upcoming movie called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, based on a documentary of the same name. So Fox Searchlight released and then actually retracted images from the set that show the duo in character on the set of Jim and Tammy's 70s children's TV show. They look a lot like young versions of the preaching couple. The film has some real talent involved. That's the reason I'm so excited about it. Being directed by Michael Showalter, who most recently gained notoriety as a director for The Big Sick. Jay Hughley, best known for playing David on The Walking Dead, and Jimmy Leduc of the first season of True Detective have signed on to play fellow televangelist Jimmy Swagger, and Vincent D'Onofrio will play Jerry Falwell. Tyler, for for people that I don't know Vincent D'Afro. Uh, it's Kingpin, right? Kingpin on the Daredevil on the Daredevil TV show. Uh, you also saw him in the the first new Jurassic World. He was kind of the vil- the, the human villain yeah. on uh, in the first Chris Pratt Jurassic uh, Dra- Jurassic World movie. Uh, so he he gets around. He's also a a very charming social media presence. Seems like a good guy. Uh, oh, and he was uh, uh, in the first Men in Black movie. He was the uh, the bug. The oh yeah. The, the he was like the human skin suit he, that the bug walks I, around. I mean, you had some interactions with him on Twitter uh, over things. That were relevant I, you know, I, I think so. I think he actually responded. I think actually he responded pretty positively to some of our some of our Daredevil coverage back in the day when yeah. he was on that show. Yeah. Well, but he's gonna be he's gonna be Jerry Falwell. And now senior. he's playing Jerry Falwell, yeah. another person we've had some interactions with over relevant. So <laughs> <laughs> times a flat circle. Uh, according to Deadline, the picture follows televangelist Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, who formed the world's largest religious broadcasting network and quickly fell into financial improprieties, scheme rivals and sexual scandal that not only broke up the marriage but also brought down their empire 
On Twitter, Jay Baker, the son of Jim and Tammy Faye, tweeted, There is a major motion picture coming out about my family's life. It's strange to have a film made about the moments and traumas that shaped your life. Will Hollywood finally humanize the Bakers? There's no word yet on a release date. That's an interesting comment from Jay Baker, because he has been pretty publicly... I don't want to say antagonistic, but I would say at least very realistic about the legacy of his parents. I'm sure it would be difficult. He's, it's an extremely strange place for him to be yeah. in, I'm sure. Uh, but it sounds like he's still, he doesn't just want to demonize them or throw no. them under the bus. He obviously cares about getting the real story here. Yeah. It, well, because I think, so for people, I, I guess that, uh, don't know the story of Jim and Tammy Faye, Bay, you know, they, they came from the humblest of humblest beginnings, you know, doing mm-hmm. yeah, basically yeah. puppet shows for children. You know, they, they ended up becoming, you know, developing a friendship with Pat Robertson in the early days of his broadcasting career. And what started out as a relationship where Jim and Tammy would do puppet shows for, you know, the fledgling CBN 700 club network, you know, Jim, eventually took over hosting the 700 club for a while when they, during right. the 700 yeah, yeah, club payday right. you know and really kind of turned the show from a preaching show into kind of a variety show which drew real celebrities you know i mean it wasn't that amazingly indi- big time people would come onto that show it, it wasn't that indistinguishable you know from johnny carson and then nope. you know with jim and tammy they, they ended up breaking away they saw started this i mean got incredibly ambitious you know jim sort of fashioned himself as like a walt disney type of character uh you know a media mogul who also was going to get into like this kind of high concept amusement park slash um you know town that he created heritage usa Mm -hmm. but uh, like you were saying or like the the uh synopsis you know there was uh, a a sex scandal there was financial stuff you know jim baker went to prison (laughs) you know and (laughs) uh, and so hearing jay baker's comments you know about humanizing his parents it's interesting because you know Tammy Faye passed away of cancer uh, years ago, uh, uh-huh. and she kind of I feel like had changed her image and culture as someone who was much more accepting of people uh, from different backgrounds and worldviews. And it seemed like her and Jay actually had a pretty close relationship where, you know, Jay's father, Jim Baker, has kind of gone the other direction and really dug in his heels. And it's kind of it's pretty fringy right now. I mean, he's the guy that's on late night TV selling vats of end times gruel that you can eat in your bunker should the apocalypse begin. You know, he's he's really embraced that very far right extremist far right uh doomsday prepper type mentality uh to to uh i I mean in many ways it's sort of the logical endpoint of the grift that the family was pulling for a a long time but it doesn't appear there there used to be sort of a savviness to it that there doesn't appear to be now yeah and so uh, all that to say it has the makings for a fantastic movie and i love in a way because this is a, a world that i 
you know, have a pretty some pretty close ties to. You know, I mean, yeah, I live in Virginia yeah. Beach, a stone's throw from CBN, and where they record the Seven Hundred Club. I've been a, you know, I've had some relationship with that for pretty much my entire life. I went to Oral Roberts University, um, you know, in the a, a, a televangelism hotspot. You know, I live not that I live in the same state as Liberty, and has you know, I used to go to basketball yeah, yeah, camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we used to play in basketball camps up there. I so. This is this is a project that I have particular interest in, but it's also weird that televangelism seems to have somewhat of a moment right now because you also see you know righteous mm-hmm. gemstones HBO's mm-hmm. you know series that is sort of you know a lot of the characters seem like algamations of some of these figures from the heyday of televangelism. Anyway, we have a televangelist working as an advisor in the White House right now. With Paul <laughs> White. More than one. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just a weird time uh, in the uh, in the sort of uh, in culture where there's this interest in that that weird world of televangelism, you know? And, and it'll be, I, I do like the cast a lot here. Uh, Garfield in particular has been pretty open about the fact that he had sort of a spiritual awakening working on Martin Scorsese's uh, silence yeah. movie. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that he would call himself a Christian or not, but that was obviously an extremely Christian movie yeah. that, that had a very profound spiritual impact on him. And, and he's just, I just love his acting. Yeah. I think he's a great yeah. performer and, and Chastain too is great. Good cast. Love show Walter. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Only I cannot reason, wait. Only, I cannot only wait. good. There, there's only reason to be excited about this movie yeah. at yeah. this point. It's got all the hallmarks of being a really interesting. Look. Yeah. And oh, speaking of interesting stuff, here we go. This is is a long one. I I feel like people (laughs) dig in. And, and, uh, you know, Tyler, you were in the UK and I spent some time. You know, someone said, oh, you're you're dunking on Wayne Grudenham here. And and that's not the point. But I do feel like he entered something into the public dialogue this week that deserved some critical analysis. So, yeah, yeah. it would be he. he, uh, Well, yeah, let's get I'll read it and then we'll get into it. So this week. Theologian Wayne Grudem uh, wrote a piece called, and this is a quote, this is the full headline, Trump should not be removed from office, a response to Mark Galley and Christianity Today for the conservative site Town Hall. So this piece is essentially a takedown of an explosive Christianity Today article that made the case for Trump being removed from office. I'm sure most people listening are very familiar with that. It's hard to understate Grudem's influence, and this is true. As he explains in the piece, he has taught ethics as a professor at the college at college and graduate school level for 42 years and as the author of a major textbook on Christian ethics and another widely used book on the relationship between politics and the Bible. Uh, our, my, my first day at Moody Bible Institute, all freshmen were required to have the Bible and Grudem's Systematic Theology. Wow. Those are wow. the two books you had to have no matter what, whatever classes you were taking. Very prominent conservative theologian. Yeah, and, and I, I would say, you know, I wasn't, um, uh, you, you know, to engage with his work, but I do understand that there is a large portion of a generation of Christians who were, you know? Yeah, I think white evangelical Christianity is uh, you really, in a huge way, was shaped by his, his, uh, his writings here. General editor of the ESV Study Bible. Uh, he also co-founded the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, uh, I believe with Bruce Ware, if I remember correctly. So in his piece, Grudem identifies six reasons that Galley says President Trump should be removed from office. 
Uh, much of the piece focuses on the legal technicalities and constitutionality of the president's dealings with Ukraine, though these arguments are essentially undermined when Grudem concedes regarding the Constitution, I claim no specialized expertise or legal knowledge. Like Galley himself on this point, I write as an interested citizen, not a legal expert. Okay. So, Grudem notes that before the election in 2016, he himself wrote this, quote, I cannot commend Trump's moral character, and I strongly urge him to withdraw from the election. His vulgar comments in 2005 about his sexual aggression and assault against women were morally evil and revealed pride in conduct that violates God's command, you shall not commit adultery, from Exodus 20. His conduct was hateful in God's eyes, and I urge him to repent and call out to God for forgiveness and to seek forgiveness from those he harmed. God intends that men honor and respect women, not abuse them as sexual objects. That was what he wrote in 2016. Though much of the rest of the piece is spent essentially defending Trump's tweets, hires and actions while in office, Grudem says this about the 2016 election. Quote, but Trump did not withdraw and I voted for him anyway, because in the end, I thought he would make a far better president than Hillary Clinton. Literally days after strongly urging him to withdraw because of comments regarding sexual aggression and assaults against women that were morally evil and revealed pride and conduct, his words, Grudem, who is taught extensively on ethics, cast his vote for Trump. Following its publication, another piece from Grudem began making the rounds. This one is from 2007. In that piece, he makes the case that Mitt Romney should be the Republican presidential candidate, not Rudy Giuliani. Today, of course, Giuliani is Trump's personal attorney, one of the one of his most vocal defenders. In 2007, Grudem wrote this. So it seems to me that if evangelicals don't support Romney in a significant way, Giuliani will be the Republican candidate. So then we will have a pro-abortion, pro-gay rights candidate who is on his third marriage and had a messy affair prior to his divorce from his second wife. He added, then we will lose any moral high ground and the enthusiasm of the evangelical vote. So, in his pro-Trump piece published this week, he said that past marriages and past behaviors should essentially be irrelevant. Writing, here's what he said, shouldn't we evaluate Trump primarily on the basis of his time as president? If we judge President Trump on the basis of his conduct during his three years as president, I think there is no basis for claiming that he has engaged in immoral conduct, either with women or in business. When writing about Trump, who, remember in 2015, says he has never asked God for forgiveness, Grudem said this, The Christian gospel includes the message that people can repent of past sins, ask God for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and often gradually become better people. See notes Luke 24, Acts 20, and 26. Does Galley think that such change is impossible for Trump? Or does he think that we like Inspector Javert and Les Miserables, should hound a man for a lifetime because of long past misdeeds. We're running, we're running long here already. So I don't know if we have time to unpack all of this, but Jesse, you already did a, you already did an excellent job uh, on the site, which I would encourage people to go read uh, to, to see your comment. Cause I think you handled it very uh, graciously. Yeah. Oh, thank. Well, and, and to like the point isn't to like try to discredit Wayne Groom. Like, like I said, well, I have no, not. I have no past with his theology. I don't even know his work. I, I don't even know his theological perspective on things. But I do think if he's going to enter something into the public discourse like this, he needs to be held accountable for his words and passwords because. In yeah. one sense, he, he needs to acknowledge the discrepancy here. Yeah, because in one sense, he says, 
uh, you know, Christianity is wrong to uh, talk about character issues with the president of the United States, because a lot of their complaints are about things that happened before Trump took office, uh, particularly um, things that involved his relationship with women. Let's remember, at least 19 women have come forward and and accused the president of sexual assault. And so what Grudem is saying here is... we know that he worked hard to cover up some of those instances of infidelity during the election campaign that that he, with the Stormy Daniels affair, he sent Michael Cohen out. So So it's not like this was all... If, the, if that's his primary point, that this happened in the past, even that is not accurate. Well, well and exactly. You know, but Grudem goes in his, in his piece, and this is from the perspective of an ethicist and theologian, a very influential evangelical ethicist and theologian. You know, he makes the point that because this happened before he was in office, it should essentially be irrelevant. And how dare Christians bring up, you know, people's past when in mm-hmm. 2007 he conflates Rudy Giuliani's personal, uh, you know, past indiscretions with his political views, with his what Grudem sees as his objectionable uh, political views. He puts them on the same plane. He literally puts Rudy Giuliani's past marriages and and affairs on the same level of him being uh, pro-choice. And so, you know, why does and ironically, Giuliani is, is, you know, is Trump's primary defender. So what it it shows. for an ethicist holding two different standards to two different people because you like one better than the other. Like you, he totally discredits his position by, by doing something in a past article that he's, he's accusing Christianity day of, of being out of line for doing themselves. Like, and, and the other thing too, I wanted to mention, and this is in some of the, the further analysis of his pieces, you know, he says that the impeachment efforts are an effort to reverse the election or, or I think his exact word was overturn the results of an election. Mm-hmm. But again, that's the false dichotomy. I think we've talked about we've before. Discussed this before. Yeah. It, yeah. If, if Trump is removed from office, Hillary Clinton isn't the new it's president. Doesn't, it doesn't it's revert, his doesn't, vice president, Mike Pence. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't overturn the election. It doesn't give it to the other candidate. That's not how it works. So these pieces from this piece from Grudem, I just felt like was really problematic in a lot of ways. And, and the logic was deeply flawed by his own standards. And I, I feel like, again, this isn't a personal attack against them, but I feel like, listen, if, if he's going to make a case as a prominent ethicist, we as as Christians and particular members of the media should be able to offer some critical analysis and pushback if there's logical fallacies in it, you know? And, and I think as I was reflecting this a little bit, we've talked about the president a lot on here. I think people know that we are not, uh, I wouldn't say we're super fans of his or anything (laughs) like that. I don't, don't, uh, there's no use beating around the bush there, but I understand that a lot of people felt like they couldn't morally pull the trigger for Hillary Clinton. And I understand that. Absolutely. I, I I truly do. That's not me just being, I'm um, no fan uh, of of the Clinton family. No, she's, she's, she's got a, the, the Clintons are, have, we're not blind to their problems yeah. uh, at all. So I don't blame anybody for thinking that that, that, that was just not a, a place they could not justify going with their vote. Absolutely. What I don't like, uh, what, what really does, I find sort of confusing and, and, and occasionally upsetting is the, that there isn't this acknowledgement that, that, I wish Goodman could just say, yeah, Trump's a bad guy. Yeah. He, he's a bad person, but he was the person I voted for. Yeah. This, 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 uh, 
thing where the where people like Grudem sometimes squint to pretend that there's nothing wrong and that he can't even believe Mark Galley would have the gall to say that Trump may have committed some immoralities yeah. is just, this feels like a willful denial of something that we are all that, that you can turn on the news and watch every day. Yeah. So I, I would have more respect for this argument if he would just say so you just say, look, he, he's done a lot of bad things. He he's uh, he, he's slandered people. He he is he can be cruel. He has been unfaithful to his to all of his wives, and and has continued to be unfaithful to his current one, and has at least continued to try to cover that up, yeah. whether or not it, it's happened since he became president. But I still feel like he is the. If you could just acknowledge that instead of this hand waving these things away like they don't they they never even happened, then that then we could at least have a debate about reality, about what's actually happening. As it is, we feel like we're having to hold Grudem to to things that we just know to be true. Uh, and that feels unfair, and it feels fa- frankly beneath somebody of Grudem's obvious intelligence. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, because I do think he's an intelligent person, you know. But mm-hmm. it also shows like a deep flaw within our political system, and this is a, a deeper discussion, probably. But you know, often politics are, are as much about cults of personality as they are about yeah, actual legislative yeah. issues. Like, I don't like when people say I'm pro Trump or I'm pro Hillary or I'm anti. Buddha hedge or I'm anti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm pro everybody. You, you should be. Yeah, am I pro Trump in the sense that I want him as a human being? I want well being. I want. I want. Well, yeah. You know what I mean. But like the the, the idea that people hitch their wagons to uh, candidates, not issues, I think is a huge problem in American politics because. You, you, you when you become pro someone and anti someone else, you're, it's no longer about the issues that you feel convicted about. It's about defending a human being who is all like all humans, deeply, deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I can say, yeah, I because it seems like there's a lot of people who. Are, are are unable to say, I voted for this person, but I can't say I like everything they've done. You know, there seems to be so much pride in it where it's like, listen, I like Obama and a lot of the things he does. I also think his drone strike policy and his immigration policy was terrible and did a exactly. lot of morally, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. terrible things. But it seems like people need to develop the the ability to do what you're saying, Tyler, which is let's have a real conversation about the candidates, morality and character and also a, a, a conversation about politics and not necessarily conflate the two. Like, let's be able to separate them, criticize where, where we need to criticize, praise where we need to praise. But let's not fool ourselves here and do these, you know, intellectual cartwheels like Grudem's doing to defend yeah, yeah. indefensible behavior. You know, to defend indefensible behavior. Say you say you like his policies. Say you feel that the policies were 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 are worth putting up with. I disagree with you on that, but at least we could have a real debate yeah. around whether or not that's the right track to take. Uh, and and I, I guess that's it. Yeah, I think most people are aware of how I feel about that, and and uh, I, it, it's disappointing 
I think this has been the cause of a lot of hurt in the church for over sure. the last couple of years, this sort of uh, this double standard that people perceive. And that certainly in this case, at least looks to be a very real thing, a, a yeah. very uh, an actual double standard at play. And I hope that we can get around to acknowledging that so we can have an actual conversation around what morality and civic life should look like for Christians instead of this back and forth uh, that we have right now, which is just not helpful and not even real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. I think we're, oh man, we're, we are, we're going long today, but it was important. Yeah, we had a, a lot to cover. We had a lot to cover today. Yeah. It's a long show. Uh, and next up, we're going to get, oh, it's not going to get, it's not going to get more boring because we got Brian Stevenson coming up next after the break. Listening to Bags it's by Claro. Well, Brian Stevenson is, is a lawyer, he's an activist, he's an author, he's the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a human rights organization in Montgomery, Alabama. Under his leadership, EJI has won major legal challenges, eliminating excessive and unfair sentencing, exonerating innocent death row prisoners, confronting abuse of the incarcerated and the mentally ill, and aiding children prosecuted as adults. And the new film, Just Mercy, which is based on Stevenson's book, actor Michael B. Jordan portrays Stevenson in this gripping drama. If you have not read Just Mercy, I, I cannot read one of the most powerful books yeah. I read in the last decade. Uh, an absolutely grace-filled, wonderfully thought through, such a generous view of what needs to happen in our justice system for it to be a, a more human, uh, equitable system for people. I, I so admire the work that, that Brian has done on that. And also lately of, of trying to make sure that we as a nation uh, remember our story of slavery, particularly of lynching has been a, a huge part of his, his passion. He wants us to make sure that that is not something that dies. So it was such an honor to get to talk to him yeah. for this new movie. Uh, he sat down with me to talk about the film, the importance of justice reform. Uh, here's a part of our conversation with Brian Stevenson. So to start out, I, I really wanted to ask him, first of all, kind of like we were talking about earlier, uh, he didn't write this book thinking he would ever be made into a movie. Obviously, it's not the sort of book that really lends itself to yeah. a movie. So I asked uh, what when he first heard that there was an interest in that. Was he interested? Was he excited? Was he nervous? And I was a little surprised because he told me he was actually pretty apprehensive. Here's why. I was surprised, but I was a little bit apprehensive, too. I've seen enough films based on books that I've read to be worried that, that, that this might turn out to be something that I wouldn't be happy with, that the integrity of the book or, uh, or the truth of the story might be lost. And so it wasn't enough for me to just hear that somebody wanted to make a movie. I wanted to know who would be involved. And I, I did have some apprehension. Uh, but when Destin, uh, Daniel Critton signed on and I got a chance to talk with him, I saw his earlier film, Short Term 12, which was full of nuance and complexity. Uh, and then when Michael B. Jordan signed on and we got a chance to talk, my confidence grew because not only were they talented and creative and had a lot of wonderful ideas, uh, they were also both deeply committed to these issues. And that just gave me the comfort I needed to move this forward. And it's been really 
you know, a joy moving forward. The cast is so talented. Uh, I'm really happy with the film. And I'm, I'm grateful that this opportunity emerged and we're now on the brink of sharing the story with lots of people. So uh, with regards to the, you know, this, the hope is obviously this movie is going to start a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting conversations around justice reform. Yeah. The book will as well. Uh, I wanted to hear him say, I think a lot of people are aware of the, the, the logic issues, the legal issues, the, even the moral issues. But Brian Stevenson is a believer. And I wanted to know what are the Christian reasons to, to fight for justice reform? Yeah. What, what about his faith motivates him to do this? He, he is obviously thought about this a lot. Uh, here's his answer. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we are called to help people understand that they are more than the worst thing they've ever done. I, I think for me, um, that is sort of biblical. Uh, I, I don't think if someone tells a lie, they can only be a liar for the rest of their life. I think if someone takes something, they can become more than a thief. I think even if you kill somebody, you're not just a killer. And what the good news is all about is creating opportunities for redemption and restoration and salvation from all of these things that would otherwise define us. And that's at the heart of what I do. Um, you know, we don't send crimes to prison. We send people to prisons. And too often we forget that. So bringing the humanity of the people I represent for me, it's not only necessary as an advocate and a lawyer, but it's what I feel I'm called uh, to do. And I just think um, that if we are going to be a community of people who love mercy, who do justice and walk humbly with God, we've got to care about the absence of mercy. We've got to care about the presence of injustice. We've got to care about the arrogance of uh, uh, killing people uh, to show that killing is wrong and taking on these uh, roles that I don't believe we are equipped uh, to hold. I, I just think we're, you know, that, that, you know, when Jesus talked about not throwing uh, stones, he said, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And, and those who were around, the woman accused of adultery, he never said she didn't do it. Uh, but those who were around were convicted by that, that consciousness. And I just feel like we're living at a time now where that consciousness seems to be absent, and people nonetheless pick up the stones. And, and that's why I have a chapter in the book where I talk about uh, being a stone catcher. I just think we're called to do more uh, than watch this kind of violence and abuse and mistreatment and to be silent in spaces where there's an absence of grace and redemption. So, yeah, those things are very critical for me and very important to what I'm trying to do in my work. And I think that's a really, it's not something that you see. I, I think, I think Christians have done a really good job with things like you, you hear a lot about prison ministry, mm -hmm. a lot of people going into prisons. Uh, I know a lot of artists that we have on the show do that a lot. I know a lot of pastors are very, are, are really passionate about going to meet people in prison. I know a lot of churches like plant, uh, have little, uh, church plants in prison too. And I think that's really amazing. And I think a way the church could really take that ministry to the next level would be campaigning for systemic reform instead of these individual one-on-one -on -one bait. In addition, I should say yeah. to these individual, individual one-on-one meetings that they're doing. And I, I think Brian's book has a lot of good advice about to do that. I, the last thing I wanted to ask him about is 
these conversations can get so heated uh, when you're trying to talk to somebody about the importance of reform of justice reform. Obviously, there's there's a lot of very controversial elements in this, and the whole debate has become sort of politicized in a way that makes it even harder sometimes to talk about these issues. So I wanted to know uh, how does he do it? How does he approach these conversations with people who just don't agree? And is there a way we can do it in a way that actually invites interesting conversation, healthy debate instead of just shouting matches? Here is thoughts about that. Yeah, well, I do think we have to be willing to go where people are. We can't just proclaim our truth and get mad at anyone who doesn't see it the way we do. I've always felt like, you know, to be persuasive, you have to be, you know, tactical and strategic. You have to be willing to take those steps. And I just think, you know, there are things that happen. And one of the things that people struggle with is sort of this atmosphere of fear and anger that shapes our political spaces and our cultural spaces. And I think what we have to do is to be willing to help people get past the fear and get past the anger so that they can be truly human, so that they can be truly honest. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have to shift some of these questions. The death penalty for me is not a, an, a topic that can be resolved by asking whether people deserve to die for the crimes they've committed. The threshold question is, do we deserve to kill? And if you have the kind of system that we have that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent, if things are compromised by unreliable uh, proceedings, if there's bias and bigotry and racism, we don't deserve to kill. And I don't think many people disagree with that. And I hope people will take those kinds of friends and family to the film, because I, I, I think if people saw what I see on a regular basis, they'd want the same things I want. And the film hopefully allows them to see some of that. That was our conversation with Brian Stevenson. Uh, I would encourage you to read and to watch Just Mercy, of course. Yeah. When we come back, time for our new music spotlight with Brian and Katie Torwaltz. There are over a million children trapped in the darkness of sexual slavery. Destiny Rescue is a Christian-based organization dedicated to rescuing these kids and helping them stay free. Girls like Tala, who once was a worship leader, became trapped and sold for sex. All seemed hopeless, yet she still prayed for a way out. Then one night, she was found by a Destiny Rescue agent. Our rescue agents are relentlessly seeking finding and rescuing brave individuals around the world through a variety of rescue tactics. We help survivors let go of traumatic past through individual aftercare plans and empower them to live out their God-given destinies. Today, Tala is going to college and getting a communications degree. She is earning a safe living and has even returned as a worship leader in her church. She has found hope, worth, and restoration in the light of Jesus Christ. You can be a light and reach the next child waiting in the darkness at destinyrescue.org. You're listening to Remember by Brian and Katie Torwalt. Brian and Katie Torwalt are singers, songwriters, and worship leaders and are members of the Jesus Culture Worship Collective. They recently released a powerful new collection of songs called Anticipation. We get to talk to Brian and Katie about the album and a few of its breakout tracks. Here's our conversation with Brian and Katie Torwalt. We released an EP last year called Praise Before My Breakthrough, and 
When we were in the process of writing after that project, we were actually writing for something else and we just kept writing these songs that kept coming out that as they started becoming a project, we realized it was sort of a continuation of that same story and we couldn't really get away from it. And we're like, are we writing the rest of this, this same project? And so we did. We felt like we were. We were writing the, the next part of the story. It's not necessarily like, uh, I think it's kind of inter interesting. There's a little bit of attention to it because it's not, uh, Praise Before My Breakthrough really was about praising sort of in the middle of the season before you see, before you're living in the full promise, before you're experiencing in your everyday life the full promise and, and breakthrough that, that you're praying for and pressing into. But, and this isn't necessarily like we're living in heaven now and this is on the other side. Um, but it really was the next part of the journey and the next part of the story for us because sort of those prayers and those, those promises and those declarations that we began with kind of transformed into something that was really supernatural and really full of hope. And that's why we chose the title anticipation is because it wasn't just something that in faith we, we chose to declare or believe anymore. It wasn't something that was just small, that was like a small act of faith, but it actually became something a lot larger for us that, that we're like, no, we truly anticipate. Um, we're looking for, we're awaiting. Not only are we hopeful, but we really are awaiting and anticipating the next move of God and, and the goodness of God. And it doesn't feel like such a choice right now. It's like something has lifted and we started to write these songs describing that. Open every door, We felt that it was actually for something larger than just us. We do write songs that are just for us and kind of help us process our lives. But these songs sort of became something that felt a little bit more, a little bit larger. And um, that's when we sort of decided to share them. So, yeah, the theme is around anticipating the goodness of God. And what does that look like? And in a fresh way, how can we describe what that feels like? So there's a lot, there's a lot of hope in this record that I feel like we have We've received a lot of feedback that personally. and personally been experiencing ourselves. Yeah. A lot of the times we just, it's how we process life. And so we write and we write and we, you know, we have a ton of half written songs that are that same thing. That is just part of that process that it just in the middle of it, like, it's like, okay, this just doesn't feel like it's it, but it's helping us process and getting to the next thing. And then every once in a while you come come along a song as you're writing that feels like, okay, this feels like a complete thought or a complete part of the story. And, and, and honestly, I don't, we really didn't anticipate to put a lot, especially for the praise before my breakthrough album. Those were very much just process songs. And, and we had a handful of them and, it was more just like an urging what we felt from the Holy Spirit of like, okay, let's do something with these um, and put them out. And, and it, and we, we, it wasn't a whole album, you know, it was an EP. It was the first time we didn't like try and do a complete full album. And it was like, this doesn't even feel like the whole story, which is what Katie was just talking about how, okay, the next time we tried to do a project, it was like, Oh, you know what? It feels like we're trying to tell the next step in the, in this journey. I have joy 
you notice that on today's show, uh, that was very low. Uh, that's a great EP, by the way. It's been in heavy rotation. People should definitely need to check it out. That we have two Brian's on the show with a Y and Orion <laughs> Johnson, who spells his name R-I-A-N. What? I think I, I feel like, can we just ask the Bryans to trade out the Y for the I? You know, like, I feel like that would have made <laughs> this rundown a lot easier. We have two Bryans with a Y and a Ryan with an I. It makes no sense. I'm already coming into 2020 very confused by this. Uh, I can know. allow, I can allow, I can allow for Brian with a Y. That's, that's common enough. Ryan with an I, I don't know. Yeah. That's not, yeah. he says he's a youth group kid. I don't that know any youth yeah. group kids. I've known a lot of youth group kids. Yeah, a lot of Josiahs. A More lot than of, one Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of homeschooled youth group kids with uh, weird old testament names you know uh uh so i but i do know i don't know any ryan's i do not so then, i don't know yeah, I well don't know. well you got one on the podcast and ryan if you want to come on this podcast and defend your name it's too late it's, you had your it's too late but if you want to come on we'll do that you can, we can come on and talk we can come you can come on and talk about amy grant if you want to <laughs> but nevertheless nevertheless as complicated as it was Many thanks to everybody who joined us on the show today. Brian Stevenson, thank you for joining us. Just Mercy is hitting theater soon. You can get a little sneak peek of it by reading the book. Just Mercy is out. I would encourage everyone to read it. Brian and Katie Torwall also joined us. We're grateful to them. Anticipation is out now. I encourage you to have that a listen. Get your 2020 playlist off to a good start. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe to Relevant Daily. It's the podcast where I bring you the everyday well, almost every day. Well, I'm in England. I'm not going to do it every day. But for the most part, every day, I bring you so the, the top three stories at the intersection of faith and culture that we uh, that came across to our desk. Keep you updated on what's happening in America in terms of faith and culture. And I think with that, I think it's time to wrap it up, everybody. Yeah. That's it for the first step. We got through one full episode this year. Yeah. Only like a hundred, only like a hundred to go. Oh yeah, exactly. And Hey, <laughs> join us. I think, I, I think on Monday, I mean, I don't want to promise because we've had multiple people go down with the flu the morning. They're supposed to join us for a podcast. It happens. It happens. Yeah, it's it's Corey prop, uh, a couple of people, but right now on the schedule, we're supposed to have a very special co-host for the Monday show. The one and only Andy Minio will be sitting in for the entire program. Uh, can't wait. So can't wait. So I'm talking so, to Andy. Yeah. Andy's one of the better. I don't think he's ever like hosted the show with us before, but, but man, Andy's a good hang. He's a good whenever hang. I, whenever, good whenever, hang. whenever I, whenever I, we get an interview with him about a new album or something like that, I look forward to it. Cause it's just fun to talk yeah, to the guy. And we're just going to be goofing around with him. So, uh, yeah. tune in, uh, uh, on the Monday show. We have Andy, or a Tuesday show. Andy Minio's joining us. All right. Well, Hey, Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, Thanks Happy for, New Year. Happy New Year. Year. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'm going to go out and find some fish and chips, maybe a bag of crisps. And, uh, uh, and, get, and, buy, and watch out for those foxes. Oh, watch out for those foxes. It's raining down on the city of London right now. So, uh, I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Clark Flippo. I'm Jesse Carey. Yeah, we'll see you all next time. Happy New Year, everybody. for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store make sure to subscribe to relevant magazine info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe
Well, you're not going to believe it. A fox fell on my face. Relevant Podcast Network. IKEA always asks, what makes a house a home? Comfort? Making your place your own? Mm. Affordable solutions created with the planet in mind? With IKEA, it's all of the above. And now you can afford even more with new benefits for IKEA family members, including 5% off on all eligible purchases in store. Every visit, every day. Visit ikea-usa.com slash family to learn more and join. Offer valid starting 9-1-2022. Limited to qualifying purchases. Exclusions apply. Not valid on services. Discount applied in store only before tax, shipping, and handling. Cannot be combined with coupons. Visit ikea-usa.com slash family for more details. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.